With the 26th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. That was the sound of what was probably the most surprising moment in last night's NFL Draft. Well, that and the scene at Titans head coach Mike Rabel's house. While Tua Tungavailoa ended up where he was expected to land all along in Miami, there were still plenty of shockers in the first round. ESPN's Mike Golick Jr. joins us to break down the most interesting picks and the ones that didn't happen. I'm Mina Kimes. It's Friday, April 24th. This is ESPN Daily. All right. You're kind of thumping a a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. All right. So, Mike, we thought there might be some shockers uh, involving the quarterbacks. But in the end, after so much discussion over whether Tua might slide and whether Justin Herbert would be drafted before him, uh, Tua ended up in Miami and Herbert was taken by the Chargers. The actual shocker. And we'll get to those guys in a second. But the real surprise was Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback, going to Green Bay at 26. What was your immediate reaction? Can I get a camera on 12 in Green Bay right now? Like Aaron Rodgers had to be hot coming off of that one because Jordan Love, I, I think we all kind of were the same place. There's a ton of upside with that pick, potentially a crazy arm to work with, probably going to be a couple years away which is fine, but Aaron Rodgers has three years left on his deal, I believe, an extension that he signed, and that offense needs plenty of help. You could have used a tackle because you lost Brian Balaga. You can certainly use more weapons to try and arm your Hall of Fame quarterback with when you were a team that was a game away from potentially being a Super Bowl contender. So I, I, I really didn't understand that one, and I thought you on our draft broadcast tonight used the best term, opportunity cost, seemed to be the big L for the Packers there. Yeah, I think the confusion there is not only over, you know, well, when is Jordan Love actually going to start? Aaron Rodgers has multiple years left on his very large contract. This isn't a Philip Rivers or Drew Brees situation where we might actually see him, you know, sitting for a year and learning behind the veteran and then coming back or coming in rather. That's a question. And then the other one is, boy, they really didn't get a weapon for Aaron, you know, and I think that's what most people expected them to do in the draft. There were still some really talented receivers on the board. I didn't see Packers fans' reactions to the pick, but I imagine they were pretty stunned. Yeah, and and like you said, this is a year where I understand the wide receiver draft. You can argue that because of the depth of the class, you can get something closely resembling what you want in the second round. Hell, maybe even into the third round. But with that being such a pressing need, and let's be real, like we don't know even in a world where quarterbacks are playing well into the 40s, we don't know necessarily how long the window stays as open as it seems right now for the Packers. And so not capitalizing there, I think, is going to be something that haunts them this year. And the Packers picking later on in the second round means they could miss out on some of those wide receivers. Uh, Let's get back to Tua. With the fifth pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Miami Dolphins select Tua Tungavalawa, quarterback, Alabama. So, like I said, after so much conversation, and also, Mike, whether or not Miami would have to trade up potentially into the third or fourth spots, 
They sat there and they got the man they've been linked with all along. How do you like the fit with Miami? I like the fit with Miami, I think, as much as I would like the fit with anybody, right? Like Tua outside of Joe Burrow was the one prospect that I think we all agreed from a football standpoint does all of the things you want a quarterback to do well. Like he's extremely quick when it comes to processing. He's got an arm that maybe isn't going to blow you away, but can make all of the throws. And I think just as important as anything for me with Miami is you drafted Austin Jackson at offensive tackle out of USC later in the first round. You're going to try and bolster that position. You made some picks there last year, but it's still a work in progress. And I think the best thing Tua does with his mobility is not run of the four quarterbacks that we saw drafted in the first round. He had the fewest rushes on scramble or design runs last year in college football. But what he does is get himself away from pressure really well. And we know that is part of going to a bad team as a quarterback at the top end of the draft. And so I think that standpoint probably helps Miami the most if he does see the field in year one or even into year two. The quarterback who was drafted after him, Justin Herbert, does run, and he runs very, very well. I I actually think it's one of his strongest attributes, aside from his powerful arm. In Los Angeles, he gets a coach in Anthony Lynn, who has worked with mobile quarterbacks in the past. Their current starter, Tyrod Taylor, and him had a great uh, dual-threat attack in Buffalo. So I imagine the offense that they would tailor for Herbert would be very, very different from what we saw Philip Rivers operate last year. What do you make of the situation Herbert's walking into? And do you think he starts immediately or sits behind Tyrod for a while? I think ideally he would sit behind Tyrod and what you just mentioned there with that offense in combination and what he can do not having to necessarily tailor it to just one of those quarterbacks, right? Like in theory with that, you can run and operate a very similar offense with Tyrod as your starter. And you have brought this up, and I think rightly so. Tyrod is a guy who mentors very well. I understand for him that's probably not ideal. He would like to start, but you're in a quarterback room that's going to be conducive to learning for a backup and conducive to playing to that strength of, all right, if the first read's not there, we can get down and we can use those legs. We can build in some of those design plays for you to maximize the strength early while you build and try and make sure that the rest of those gifts that went underdeveloped in an Oregon offense that was not a friendly one for quarterbacks start to develop towards the NFL level. Mike, this is the third time in the common draft era that three quarterbacks were taken in the top six. The last time was 1999. However, only four were taken in the first round. Were you surprised that another quarterback wasn't drafted last night? I think I was surprised, but almost a bit relieved, right? Like we tend to see the quarterback market always sort of accordion together and bring guys into the first round that don't necessarily I hesitate to say deserve to be there, but merit that based on their skill. And when you looked at the guys that were outside of that top four, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, maybe a Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma, I think with all of them, there are enough flaws that you're going to have to work around that made them more of a project than the first round should have to or be willing to take on. Again, kind of going back to the Packers and Aaron Rodgers point, I don't think you want to spend that kind of draft capital on a guy who's not going to help you right away and who's certainly going to need that kind of time to develop. So after the Jordan Love pick, I think the other big surprise of the night was that Henry Ruggs, uh, the Alabama wide receiver, was the first wideout drafted overall. It's taken by the Raiders. Most people had him third behind Jerry Judy, who went 15th to Denver, and CeeDee Lamb, who fell all the way to 17 with the Cowboys. Do you think 
it's a good fit with the Raiders. And how do you like those other fits? Yeah, it certainly seems like the most traditionally Raiders pick possible, right? Like Al Davis is somewhere smiling down saying, take the burner, take the 40 time and run with it. So I I do like the fit. It's going to be interesting. Derek Carr hasn't had deep weapons like that in a couple of years now. And as it was pointed out to us tonight by our resident uh, Raiders fan, Jason Fitz, when he had some of those options like Amari Cooper and others, he was willing to go downfield, that being Derek Carr. Can they make use of that in an offense that was much more work, work short across the middle of the field and try and let guys get yards after the catch? As far as the other picks, I love Jerry Judy in Denver. Having that combination of receivers there with him and Cortland Sutton, I think gives Drew Locke a real chance to go out and be successful this year. And my God, the Dallas Cowboys identity shift is fully complete now from a, you know, put a bunch of tight ends and run the ball down everyone's throats with Zeke Elliott offense to one that's going to be going four and five wide and spraying it all over to these weapons between the aforementioned Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now C.D. Lamb in the fold there. I mean, what a great world now for Zeke Elliott, who was used to a lot of heavy box looks, who's now going to get much easier spots to try and run through because everyone's going to have to worry about covering those receivers. A Dallas Cowboys offense that was already one of the most efficient offenses in football last year. I feel like Mike McCarthy showed up and just gave himself a gift. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll take one of those CD lambs. All right. After the break, let's talk about some of the other big surprises in the draft. And of course, your favorite unit, the offensive line. With the eighth pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, Clemson. So, Mike, we've talked a lot about Isaiah defense. Wow, I almost called him Isaiah defense. You know what? Keep that in because (laughs) it feels right. Because I was going to say Isaiah Simmons, who's a linebacker, but also a safety, but also a slack corner. But really, he plays defense. That's how he describes it. Um, Some had projected him going as high as fourth overall to New York, but he fell to eight with the Arizona Cardinals, which wasn't a position people expected Arizona to target, but I also don't think they expected him to be available there. How do you think he'll be used in Arizona? And do you like that as a landing spot? I do. I think when you look at that secondary, and you're certainly familiar with a lot of those pieces as there are a lot of former Washington Huskies in the Arizona secondary, but I think adding him to that unit where, to me, he always feels more at home. If you were going to try and peg him in one spot, I would much rather it be safety over a traditional linebacker type role. That being said, the hope is that they have the imagination to use him in the way that he deserves, meaning you're right. Make him defense, make him multiple, make him the tight end equivalent for what you want to do on defense. You would never have asked Rob Gronkowski to just be an inline blocker or just be a guy split out wide. The beauty of these kind of athletes is you get to use them as chess pieces that can put the other side of the football in a compromised position. And I don't know if anyone's going to do that on defense, potentially as well as Isaiah Simmons. Speaking of Rob Gronkowski, Isaiah Simmons is a tight end neutralizer. He's also a great quarterback spy. And and my feeling, Mike, is that you don't even want to tag him with a position. 
you want to assign him players. If you're playing the San Francisco 49ers, have him cover George Kittle. You know what I mean? Like always target the player. If you're playing the Ravens, he's on Lamar Jackson, for example. That to me is the best way to use a talent of that caliber. Just turn on some Clemson tape. Like, don't be afraid to say Brent Venables is really good at his job. Maybe we should steal some of the things he did with this freak of nature. So there weren't that many trades in the first half of the draft. Actually, according to Adam Schefter, this is the first time since 2015 that there wasn't a trade in the top 10. Uh, But one of the trades later on that was intriguing was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Where the 49ers are going to trade. They're going to trade with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady's Bucks are moving up one slot to come up in this draft. There's still a tackle on the board. Trading up just a slot to get their right tackle, Tristan Wirfs. Uh, and it was after the three offensive tackles who many had grouped with him, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, and Mekhi Becton came off the board. What do you think of the order in which those players were taken? Please draw on your expertise as a former offensive lineman. Yes. Now, order-wise, may not have been the exact order I would have taken. I thought pure talent-wise, regardless of what side of the line someone plays on, Jedrick Wills was going to be the best offensive tackle in this draft. That being said, I can understand the Andrew Thomas pick. Very clean guy. Great player with a lot of pedigree from a Georgia offensive line unit that certainly has shelled out guys like one of my personal favorites, my large adult son, Isaiah Wynn, who is now in New England. So I understand that at the top, but when we got down to Tampa, it was interesting because you already had the physical freak Makai Becton off the board and Jedrick Wills at that point. And so you were left with the last of the four, I, I think, real sure things. With Tampa Bay, we know protecting Tom Brady now is the priority, and the Trent Williams market was going to be too rich for your taste, and so moving and making sure, all right, I got the last of the four guys that we talked about, all really in the mix for the first tackle potentially taken off the board, and Tristan Wirfs, just a ton of ability there that if you can refine just a bit, is a guy with all pro capability. One of the other surprising moments involving alignment was when the Saints who took a center last year in the draft in the second round, that was Eric McCoy, picked Michigan Cesar Ruiz at 24 instead of a linebacker, as a lot of people thought uh, they might address. What did you make of that selection? The rich get richer. Like if you look in this draft overall, San Francisco getting Javon Kinlaw falling down to them. And and certainly for the Saints, offensive line has been touted as a strength for a couple of years now. They added Ryan Ramchek at right tackle not too long ago. And you mentioned the Eric McCoy pick. Cesar Ruiz is a guy who played center for Michigan last year, but has some guard in his pass to his game. Can certainly slide there as it seems like uh, Wofford is on his way out at the right guard spot there. But I just think smart teams like this in the NFL draft tend to look and say, all right, we don't have a desperate need really in any one spot. Why don't we continue to fortify the area of strength, make it even better in what may be Drew Brees' final year and ensure that we're going to give that offense the best chance to continue to succeed with that as a strength. Speaking of very good teams, the Chiefs had the last pick in the draft and they took a running back, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU instead of a corner. Mike, you know how I feel about drafting running backs in the first round. What will he do for that offense? And I just want to say, begrudgingly, I share your taste. Like as a former offensive lineman, talking (laughs) about downgrading the value of the running back position hurts my soul in a very real way. That being said, Clyde Edwards-Alaire may not have been my RB1. That was probably DeAndre Swift. 
but I don't know if you could tailor a better fit to what Kansas City does on offense. Very similar, quite frankly, to what Clyde Edwards-Alaire was dealing with at LSU. More five-man protections than any offense in college football last year. A guy who is maybe the best pure pass catcher of any of the running backs in the group this year and who can operate really well in some of those zone running plays, those you know blocking schemes that aren't going to make a ton of use of tight ends and multiple bodies like that in the middle of the field. I love him as a fit, and that offense now – multiple weapons on every level. Good luck. I mean, I hope you can get to the passer and Patrick Mahomes in under two seconds, because if not, that ball is in the hands of someone very dangerous who's likely got one of the only one-on-one matchups on the field. Good night. Was there anyone you were surprised wasn't picked in the first round? I think sticking with LSU, Christian Fulton. And I understand when you're watching the tape of LSU's corners last year, your eyes are probably drawn to Derek Stingley Jr., who is like a future top five pick as a true freshman for them. But Christian Fulton is a a very good corner and one that I can't believe in a draft where I think we saw five or six corners drafted in the first round. He wasn't one of the names. Mike, I think perhaps the biggest surprise, aside from Jordan Love and Henry Ruggs and the size of Cliff Kingsbury's house, good Lord, uh, was that nothing really went wrong? I mean, there are a couple minor glitches, but for the most part, from a technological standpoint, this was pretty smooth. How did it all feel to you? It did. It felt very clean. And I, I want to give a hat tip to our coverage of the WNBA draft last week. I looked at that as a production done largely by our folks, and I said, all right, everyone involved in that process from the TV broadcast side to the teams making picks to the commissioner all seemed to operate pretty smoothly after some practice in that spot. And we know and we heard very often about how much time the NFL spent practicing this week. So it it seemed to pay off. and, And I think the lack of trades that we really saw in the first round probably aided that to some extent. But for the most part there, who knew that uh, all of these guys in their rooms with various people and Winnebago's in the park, in the uh, driveway (laughs) or all the other 25 screens that Schneider has going on somehow managed to pull this off. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, bud. Get some sleep. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Mina. Coming up, could soccer return soon in Spain? Here's another story I want you to know. Well, the NFL draft has given football fans something to cheer for, there is still a lack of clarity around how the actual season's going to play out. But in Europe, football, as in football football, as in soccer, appears to be on the precipice of coming back. This week, the German Football League announced that Bundesliga could restart as soon as May 9th, as long as they get a green light from the government. The head of the league's task force on the issue says they'd need to administer more than 10,000 COVID-19 tests over a 10-week period to complete the season as well as practicing social distancing and monitoring and limiting gatherings. Now, this is being discussed there in large part because Germany has fought the coronavirus with great success. There's actually been a decline there in confirmed cases since mid-April. So it might be more realistic to restart soccer there than it is in Spain, one of the hardest hit countries. And yet, 
La Liga, one of the two main Spanish leagues, is also considering a comeback. New York Times reported Thursday that the league is targeting a June return. The Times got their hands on the guidelines they've established for doing so, and they are strict. Players would have to go through a month-long training protocol. They'd all have to be tested, of course, and only allowed to practice together in small groups at first. And any player who tests positive would be sent home to isolate. His teammates would also be tested as well. It remains to be seen if any of this can actually happen, or if the players, coaches, and staffers would even comply. But they have strong incentive to do so. The league has said that calling off the season would cost teams more than $1 billion. I'm Mina Kimes, and this has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Steve Martin, Ryan Antel, Andy Tennant, Eve Tro, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Russell Donalo and Troy Farkas. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs>